Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Drew Horning, and on this podcast, we catch up with graduates for conversations around how their internal work in the process is informing their life outside the process, how their spirit and how their love is living in the world around them, their everyday radius. Hey everybody, my name is Drew Horning and welcome to the Hoffman Podcast. Today we have Joey Gauld on the program. Joey, it's great to have you. I just want to introduce you for a second here. Joey was a U.S. Navy quartermaster in World War II, seaman first class. Joey has been an assistant headmaster, a teacher. He was at the Berwick Academy, the New Hampton School, and then he founded his own school and became the headmaster. It's called Hyde School, as well as the Hyde Family Learning Center. It's in Maine, but he also has programs in Connecticut, in New York City, in the Bronx. Joey is an author of multiple books about the school, his approach to kids, and his approach to parenting, uh, in particular around character. Joey has been on the Donahue Show, the Today Show, 60 Minutes, ABC's 2020, Joey has three children, nine grandchildren, one great-grandchild, and Joey is a 2007 Hoffman Process graduate. Joey, welcome to the program. Well, I'm glad to be here, Drew. <laughs> Joey, you took the process when you were 80, Joey, is that true? Yeah, that's right. Unbelievable. And you are in the education field. Joey is the founder of the Hyde School in Bath, Maine. Hyde has done incredible work with adolescents throughout the country in the inner city. Joey, welcome to the program. It's great to have you. Thank you. So uh, what made you uh, create this school, Hyde School, that was so different? And how was it different? Well, it's it came out of my own experience as a teacher, coach, administrator. Uh, you know, I was heavily into uh, those things, uh, working with kids, and came to the point where I realized that um, the system I was in really wasn't serving kids to the extent that I thought it should be serving kids. You know, the whole thing was all focused on preparing kids for college and jobs, but it wasn't dealing with them individually. You know, they were seeing kids through test scores and their academic abilities, and kids are unique. Every kid is different. And, you know, that's what our country is founded on, uh, the idea of equality, individuality. And so I, I, I had a crisis of conscience uh, in 1962 and realized that if I could 
realized those things, then it was up to me to do something about it. And uh, that ultimately led me to founding a school, even though I didn't, you know, I really didn't have money or uh, experience, but I was very committed. And uh, that commitment really helped me uh, start the school. And of course, today we have both uh, charter schools and our founding school in Maine. And what I did was I made the founding principle every individual has a unique potential that defines a destiny. Every individual has a unique potential that defines their destiny. Yeah, that's the founding principle. Everything that Hyde does is built on that. And in fact, uh, the primary means is character development. Uh, And specifically, I chose five words that I thought were essential, and those were courage, integrity, concern, curiosity, and leadership. I wasn't sure that the thing was going to work, but I thought if we really committed ourselves to it, that even if it didn't work, it would lead us to something that did. Okay, I just I just have to stop you there, because I think that in and of itself, I could say, all right, let's pack up this podcast episode over wisdom dropped because so often people wait to get it right, to get it perfect, to nail it, and then they'll step into the arena. And part of what I hear you saying is, you know what? I'm not sure this is going to work, but let's give it a go and we'll learn as we go. Is that true? Yes. I firmly believe that if it didn't work, it would lead us to something that did. In other words, if we committed ourselves to that concept and it didn't work, it would lead us to something that did. The wonderful part was it did work. (laughs) 55 years uh, and We've got graduates out there from both our independent school and also our public schools. You know, they come back and they tell us, um, you know, that one of the first things they ask is, are we teaching the five words, those five words of character, which they base their lives on? So we're. At this point, you know, we're really committed to the whole thing. You have your graduates who are coming back and saying, have you strayed from your mission, this mission that really helped me? What a beautiful thing. They're holding you accountable to this thing that helped them so much. But Joe, you know, you, you I imagine you dealt with some kids who were really struggling, adolescents with some, you know, challenging issues how do you hold true to the the essence that that uniqueness in the face of 
probably some pretty challenging behavior that they're presenting with. Well, one of the big things we we learn about how you develop unique potential, and, and one of the first things you'll learn is you develop character primarily by example. So it isn't telling anybody. You have to show people that you do it by example. That's the first thing. Second thing, big thing, was, you know, I traced kids that once they left high, I traced them to see how they were doing. And what I discovered was the big thing in their lives was not hide. It was their parents and their families. And so in 1974, which was just eight years into the founding of the school, I realized, I said, Joe, if you really want to help these kids, you got to help their parents and their families. So even though we were a boarding school, we would interview families and tell them, we have a program, but you have to participate in it. So we started a program that dealt with parental growth and family issues. And today we know if we get to the parents and the family, the kid's going to be fine. So we don't worry if we get a kid who seems to be off track, as you're mentioning. Uh, we don't worry about that as long as we're getting to the parent, because eventually it's going to work. Wow, that's beautiful. This is like wraparound services, full, comprehensive stuff. So how did that go? I'm imagining that uh, families and parents weren't always on board. Didn't they say at times, wait a minute, we're not in school. Our kids are. Why are you trying to corral us into this? Well, you see, what what happened was, yeah, initially that's the way parents reacted, you know. They're saying, my kid needs this help. I don't need this. But what they found was, you see, they they went through the same system that the kids were going through. And this system didn't really help the parents find their unique potential. And so the parents began to realize this was helping them in their lives, in their careers. I can think of one parent as an example and he, this is not the only one, but it's a good example to show you what I'm talking about. He was assigned the task of merging the two top railroads in the United States. At the time, he was a high parent, so he was going through our program, which meant he had to come to Hyde three times a year and go through what we call our family learning center. And his statement was, uh, in that merger, uh, you know, to people like the Wall Street Journal and other 
uh, media outlets was. He said, if I hadn't been a Hyde parent at that time, I would have failed in that merger because I know the way I would have tried to do it and it wouldn't have worked. So you see, he goes through the Hyde process and he realizes something in his career. He realizes how to do that merger in a way that he hadn't realized before. That is profound. That's what happened to a lot of our parents, you know. Some of them even switched careers, you know, based upon their high experience. And so over 55 years ago, and how many students have graduated? Well, if you take all the schools, it's, uh, I think, the figure is somewhere around three or four thousand. Three or four thousand students. And tell me about the, um, the schools as you moved beyond Bath, Maine, where you're based. How and why of that whole venture, the charter schools and the work elsewhere? Yeah, well, it's uh, it's a little tougher because you're in the public school market where, you know, the focus is test scores and academic achievement, you know, and our focus is we want to do those things, but we want to put character and unique potential first. And we're, we're saying if you put those things first, you get the kids' motivation. And then when you get the kid's motivation, you're going to get a better student, a, a better scholar. Uh, so somebody uh, going to college is going to be uh, a better student. That's the important thing that we think. In public schools, we've got two charter schools in New York City, one of them in one of the poorest sections in the United States, and they said the last thing I heard is of their graduates, about 70% of the graduates are of that school, and it's a thousand student school, are either in college or have graduated. Amazing. Uh, I think that says something about trying to put unique potential and character first. And I guess part of my question is, have you been able to move the needle in the larger educational field? Have you had other heads come your way and say, what do you got going on over there, Joey? What, what are you doing, this, this unique form of education about character? I think we're a curiosity. It's very difficult for a school to do this. Uh, because they have to refocus on character and unique potential. And for their community to do that, that's really tough because you've got parents, you've got trustees or school boards. Right now, we're still in a phase where We've got this educational system that 
focuses on preparing people for college and jobs, not focusing on preparing the student, the individual student. And that's a big change. So Yeah, I've heard people say they want, I wish I'd learned, I had a, a friend's a son say, I, I wish someone taught me how to study. Someone taught me how to, you know, engage in in college as a student because I'm a bit overwhelmed. So so let me ask you a question. So you're the head of the school, you're the founder of the school, life's moving along, you come into your 80th birthday and you say, I want to do the Hoffman process. What what happened that led you to Hoffman? I had learned about Hoffman and I saw how closely, you know, what we believed in and what Hoffman believed in. I saw the connection. Uh, I had talked to the people out there, Raz and so forth, and some trustees. And I went out there with the idea of trying to make a connection. I wanted to bring Hoffman to Hyde. And then also I wanted to go through the process myself because you're always, we can always improve ourselves. And I wanted to see what it was like. And so I went out to California and it was quite an experience. What was it like? Uh, A big thing was, as you know, you have all this work to do, prepare to go, go through that program of a week. And you start with your childhood name, which in my case was Joey. So I went out there as Joey. You know, you get into your groups and with your instructor, and I had a great one. And so I'm taking a look at myself at 80 years old. And it's it's was funny because I had I was a a hard driving individual at that point, as you can probably imagine. As a matter of fact, when I went out, I was into a big argument with a staff member. And I was not I was no longer running the school, but I was still in sort of an executive position. And so I had had this argument with a staff member. So that was on my mind when I got out there. Things like that come up in the Hoffman process. And so I decided to focus on that. And so if you go to your process that week, um, what, where are you? What do you remember about a moment in time that feels uh, significant for you? I mean, there were, you know, a couple. I mean, the first one was, you know, as you go back and you take a deeper look at your parents, that was uh, a big thing. But the, the one I'm coming to is looking, taking a deeper look at that argument I had with a staff member. And so, you know, you have to write down what are some of your attitudes. And I looked at some of my attitudes 
And I could see as I'm in that small group, I could see my attitudes were anger. I had a lot of trouble with anger. And it was impatience, frustration. I used sarcasm. Uh, My attitude was uh, often my way or the highway. That's the kind of person I was. So you're you're almost remembering that pattern list that you created. Yeah. You see, they're helping me get back to when I was Joey. And Joey, uh, when I was a little kid, I was this dreamer. <laughs> I was in some ways pretty ineffective. Uh, because I was such a dreamer, often people didn't pay any attention to me. I was uh, very optimistic, and so I could be the butt of the joke. And I realized that this here I I went out there with the attitude that here I'm this very committed guy who really is going to change American education. That's why I have some of the attitudes that I have. I confront a lot of attitudes. That's the way I went out. And so now I'm looking at little Joey, and Joey isn't listened to. And I realize that what's really going on is These people, when they disagree with me, they're making me feel like little Joey that nobody listens to. Oh, I have to say, Joey, I love your laughter around remembering that. It it was just such such an awakening. (laughs) It wasn't anything to do with uh, my commitment or anything else. It was all to do with myself when people would disagree with me that I'd be feeling that I'd be back and be little Joey that nobody listens to. That that inner child came flying out. Well, the other thing that happened out there, see, I was there with 40 people, and they liked Joey. I had a spirit that they liked. They liked this individual. Well, if I go back to Joe, uh, who Joe was, there there are people who don't like Joe. (laughs) There are people who are afraid of Joe. So that was really an eye-opener for me. So when I got back to high school, I got up, the first thing I did is I apologized to that staff member that I had had the big hockey argument with. I apologized to her. And uh, then I got up in front of the school and I said, I'd appreciate it if you'd call me Joey. (laughs) Right then and there, changing your name from Joe is the head of the school, the founder of the school, in an administrative position to to Joey. Yeah. 
So the last 13 years have been very pleasant <laughs> because I don't get involved with anger. I never use something like sarcasm. I don't often get frustrated or impatient. Uh, I do, you know, I do have that in my personality. And I don't get angry. Sometimes I get a little angry, but nothing much. And so, you know, now everybody thinks I'm this wise uh, individual. Some people think I'm a genius, which is ridiculous, but that's the the way they look at me. So it's been quite a change, and I really credit Hoffman for helping me make that change. That's beautiful. So what a nice resonance between some of the principles of Hyde and some of the principles of Hoffman. And so beyond that kind of recommitment of some of the things you're doing, what else did you notice that Hoffman influenced you at Hyde? I I think that uh, those were the, you know, know, that's a major, what I just told you was a major influence. But I I think the whole thing about their teachers, they really help people get to a deeper level. You have to be open to it. But if you're open to it, they help people get to this kind of deeper level. And of course, that's what we do at Hyde. Uh, we have the same kind of approach, but the uh, Hoffman is, it's Hyde heavy, heavy. <laughs> Hyde heavy, heavy? Yeah. <laughs> Joey, what is, what's your life like? So you're 94? 93, yeah. 93. And you you live on the grounds of the Hyde School there in Bath, Maine. Right now, the head of school and the trustees, the Board of Governors, don't want me up at school because of uh, what's happened uh, with the COVID-19. So I operate out of my home, which is on the campus. And I do go up, uh, for example, I went up just yesterday and taught the seventh session of public speaking to the school. You sneak up there and still do your teaching. (laughs) Yeah, but they want me to operate out of my home because they don't want me to catch the, uh, the bug. So my son is focused on, we, we have programs in our more national programs, and he heads that up, and I try to uh, help him. And as you, as you look at your incredible career in education as a leader and in, in, in a pioneer in this new way of relating to and educating our youth, what what's it like? What do you notice as you look back? And I guess you're also looking forward too. But what's it like to take a broad perspective on your life? You know, I 
I went into teaching. I, you know, when I got out of Bowdoin, I uh, followed my classmates into business. We're all going to be rich and famous. And that's what I was going to do. Except after six months, I caught myself looking at my watch at three in the afternoon. <laughs> so I knew this is not for me. I was doing okay, but. I obviously lacked the motivation. So I stepped back and said, okay, what should I be doing? And I faced, uh, I'd been a summer camp counselor one summer at Bowdoin. And that's the best thing I've ever done at that point in my life and loved doing it. So in the back of my mind, I knew I should be a teacher, but I don't want to be a teacher. I want to be stuck with a bunch of kids while everybody else goes out and saves the world, and I'm stuck. I realized at that point that that's what I was cut out to do, is to teach. And so I made this commitment to make me feel better it was sort of an ego thing. I said, one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to help these kids to the point where they're going to come back, you know, years later and say, boy, if it weren't for you, Mr. Gold. And at the time, that was an ego thing. But the reality is that that commitment that I made to the kids was the thing really caused the crisis of conscience that I had in 1962 when I said, the way we're doing it is not in the best interest of kids, because I could see it in my students. You know, I was like it, I was teaching calculus, and in one calculus class, I've got this 14-year-old genius He's already graduated from high school. I'm trying to tell that kid that he is he's lazy, he's self-centered, and he's going to get crucified in life. And I'm giving him my highest grade. Then I've got this other kid, a Vermont farm boy, who comes to me one night and he says, Mr. Golf, I work twice as hard as everybody else, and I only get half as much out of it. And the kid wants to be an engineer. And I'm trying to tell him his character might someday make him the best engineer in the class. And I'm giving him my <laughs> lowest grade. <laughs> I'm saying, what the hell is this? This is all screwed up. It doesn't make sense. You know, years later, when I wrote my first book, my editor says, well, what happened to those kids? So I traced them down. And the first kid who went on to MIT and graduated at 18 with, a, you know, a 4.0, he'd been unemployed for 11 years when I talked to him. The other kid had won several national awards for his engineering. So you see, 
you have to start with the kids. You can't start with the system that we have. That's what I believe. Beautiful, beautiful. Joey, I am grateful for our time, for your wisdom, and for your legacy. I imagine you have kids involved in the school. You mentioned your son, but also grandkids running around out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have. You know, some of them have gone through Hoffman. Uh, you know, we, we have quite a number of high parents, high teachers, and uh, members of my family have, have gone through Hoffman. So uh, we all have a lot of respect for Hoffman. Thank you, Joey. It's been a great conversation. I'm grateful. And um, I'm loving your laughter. It's contagious. I've been giggling over here as you laugh about that Joey at the process. That's good. Well, thanks, Drew. I'm uh, happy to be part of Hoffman. And I, uh, you know, I really uh, have so much respect for Liza and Raz, you know, and all that they've done for the organization. listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.